Welcome to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast with your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of the Mill Creek View newspaper. Howdy, y'all. I'm your host, Steve Abramowitz, and this is the Mill Creek View podcast. Welcome to our People in the News, where I interview people who are making an impact and are lovers of truth. We are focusing on the volunteer state and our nation today with always an interesting person making a positive change in our community. Today, we are talking with Jeff Hughes. Chief Hughes's career has spanned almost 40 years. Chief Hughes got his start in law enforcement with the Fairview Police Department in 1983. However, most of his career was spent with the Brentwood Police Department spanning from February 1986 to February 2022. Brentwood Police Department experience includes patrol officer 1986 to 1990, criminal investigation sergeant 1990 to 2000, a decade, Tech Support Service Lieutenant 2000-2006, Tech Support Service Captain 2006-2010, Assistant Chief of Police 2010-2012, and the Big Guy Chief of Police 2012-2022, 10 years while Brentwood boomed. At the time of his retirement, Chief Hughes was only the third police chief in the history of the Brentwood Police Department. Chief Hughes completed his undergraduate degree at Middle Tennessee State University, major in criminal justice, minor in psychology, He is also a graduate of the Southeastern Command and Leadership Academy at the University of Tennessee, Chattanooga. Jeff Hughes lives on his farm just outside Fairview that was passed down through four generations. He attended the Walnut Street Church. He attends the Walnut Street Church of Christ and is a lifetime member of the Brentwood Noon Rotary Club, Morris Heitkock Lodge, Number 41 Fraternal Order of Police, and the NRA. Jeff is a huge animal lover and enjoys spending time with his horses, dogs, and cats. Hello, Officer Hughes. How are you today, sir? Doing great, Steve. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. First and foremost, thank you for your service. 40 years is quite a run. Uh, Before we get into all the nitty-gritty of this uh, campaign that's going on here, um, I wanted to talk about Founded in 1996, Fight Crime. Invest in kids, take a hard-nosed look at the strategies proven to reduce crime. Armed with research, more than 5,000 members make the case for solutions that cut crime and put kids on the path to productive lives. Chief Hughes has been a member of Fight Crime, Invest in Kids since 2012. Tell us about your involvement with that. Well, that was uh, something that I became involved uh, in as the chief of police. And and what it did was promote uh, education, uh, pre-K education for children and trying to get them on the right path at an early age, uh, so that they don't fall behind when it comes to learning and the difficulties in learning, uh, for those that do fall behind. I was fortunate enough to be able to go to Washington DC and, uh, lobby with, uh, with our folks up at the Capitol about the importance of this issue. Uh, and it's just trying to get our trying to get our kids on the right path uh, from an education standpoint, so that they don't fall behind, and sometimes they end up on the wrong path that leads down uh, the road to criminal uh, opportunities, if you will. There's certainly a school to prison pipeline that we've all heard of, and so that sounds like a way to get that as early as humanly possible to break that cycle. So that's fantastic. Um, <laughs> Mark Gorman, the new mayor of Brentwood, endorsed you. Uh, We had former mayor Ray Little, who was on this show and was mayor most of the time you were chief of Brentwood PD and and built the new police station. 
Um, commissioner uh, now, uh, Little also endorsed you. So um, I counted five county commissioners. Uh, there are 24. How is your relationship with Williamson County Commission and Mayor Anderson, who endorsed another candidate, his, his deputy, of course? Well, I'll take that, uh, kind of break that down one by one. I'm, I'm very fortunate to have the support of the Brentwood City Commissioners. Those were the uh, uh, commissioners that I worked with closely as the chief of police in Brentwood. And although I worked for the city manager, he was my direct boss. Uh, the seven commissioners, you know, they actually oversaw all of the uh, business that went on in the city of Brentwood. And some of them choose not to publicly endorse, but I'm very fortunate and humbled to have the support of, of all of the commissioners in this endeavor with my campaign. That's number one. Number two, I have had the uh, great fortune of meeting and building relationships with several of the county commissioners. Some have choose to publicly endorse me. Others have a policy against public endorsement, uh, but I have developed some friendships and in uh, and, and, and talking about the issues as it related to this campaign. And and I'm very uh, I'm, I'm very humbled uh, to be supported by those who have publicly done so. Uh, in regard to the mayor, I've always uh, uh, had a very cordial relationship with Mayor Anderson. Um, he chose to endorse one of my opponents. Uh, that's certainly his his uh, right to do so. And uh, you know that 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 uh, that hadn't stopped me in my pursuit to uh, seek election in this campaign. For sure. All right. Last question on endorsements. A lot of police are for you. Uh, makes sense. Whereas, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, Dusty Rhodes had his deputy, whereas the police know you very well. Brentwood hits Hickey, Smyrna, Shelbyville, Lenore City, no sheriffs. Uh, is, there a is there a fundamentally different world between police chief and sheriff that you might have a learning curve with if you were to win? I, I really don't think so, Steve. I think that leadership is leadership uh, when it comes to managing an organization you, you need to surround yourself with smart people, competent people, uh, and, and then allow them to do the jobs that they're uh, in charge of doing. And the sheriff doesn't necessarily know how to do every job in every organizational component. Now, I've had a lot of uh, varied and vast experience as I came up through the ranks. Uh, I think there are some differences uh, organizationally. But when it comes to the number one guy, the number one guy of a police department or the number one guy at a sheriff's office, uh, I, I don't think there's a great difference in uh, leading people. And in, if, if you surround yourself with the right people and, and put them in the jobs uh, and, and give them the tools and resources they need to succeed and do their job well, uh, I don't see there being a great difference in that. Okay. So the sheriff is the defender of the people, the person who has the power to stand in the gap between the citizenry and what can potentially be a tyrannical government. A little bit different. TCA 88104, I do solemnly swear that I will perform with fidelity the duties of the office to which I have been elected and which I am about to assume. I do solemnly swear to support the constitutions of Tennessee and the United States and to faithfully perform the duties of the office of sheriff for county 
uh, Tennessee. I further swear that I have not promised or given, nor will I give any fee, gift, gratuity, or reward for this office or for aid in procuring this office, that I will not take any fee, gift, or bribe, or gratuity for returning any person as a juror or for making any false return of any process, and that I will faithfully execute the office of sheriff to the best of my knowledge and ability agreeably to law. That's the oath that you would have to take if you won for sheriff. So what about the lifetime sheriff folks that would find themselves working for a former PD? Could there be a resentment of, of deputies versus cops, that type of thing? Well, I hope not. I mean, we've, we've collaborated together uh, all of my career. I, I, you know, when I started out in law enforcement, uh, in Fairview, it was a very small law enforcement organization, and we depended on the county as our backup because uh, in 1983, 84, uh, in, in, in those years, there was only one officer on shift at any given time. So your closest backup was the county. And we really all have the same mission uh, when it comes to public safety. I mean, first and foremost, we're public servants. And you know, I, I, I kind of I think I think of uh, I think of all law enforcement personnel as extended family, and and I think we're all on the same team, and we do have the same goals, uh, and, and so I don't I don't see there being now there may be resentment um, resentment may not be the right word in other words you may have some that are supporting one candidate over another. And if their candidate doesn't get elected, there may be some resentment, but hopefully we can all get on the same team and move toward a common goal. Yeah. Since none of them have had any other boss, but one for 40 ish years, some of them were not even born yet. That's very possible. Since to be new leadership coming from different styles for sure. Um, Tennessee's permitless handgun law that took effect in July, 2021, uh, you were publicly against that and said it really takes away the authority of us to investigate any suspicious person openly carrying in a public place. Have you seen any of the concerns you had when the law was passed come to pass in the last two and a half years, three years? Honestly, I think uh, I think there have been fewer problems than I initially anticipated uh, with that bill as it was proposed. Now, I testified and spoke out against the bill as it was proposed. Um, I support the Second Amendment. I support open carry. I support constitutional carry. But oftentimes with bills, and I had the uh, uh, opportunity many times in my capacity as chief of police to work with legislators and to often testify about bills that were before them, and if there was wording that that we just couldn't get behind, as with in as as was the case with this particular bill, all of the chiefs across the state of Tennessee and all of the sheriffs opposed the bill as it was written. Uh, now I kind of get called out on it because I was solicited to testify and I was solicited to to do an um, an interview with a local media source. And, you know, I was I was concerned for public safety and and what that might look like at the time uh, as it related to the training piece or the lack thereof. And, you know, quite honestly, 
I don't think there's been uh, the, the problems that we might have perceived, but you never know what the unintended consequences are going to be uh, when a bill is before the legislator. I think we found them out in the time since then, because you had said what might have been a fist fight could now escalate to a gunfight if somebody potentially loses their temper and they have that gun readily available. Hugh said that's true, but 30,000 firearms have been stolen from cars in the last 10 years. 5,386 reported cases of guns stolen from cars statewide last year. Less than 4% resulted in an arrest, according to the TBI. Have you seen most of those used in crimes? Undoubtedly. Uh, I don't have the statistics on what that would be, but that's the uh, motivation for these bad actors in breaking into cars. It's looking for guns. That's primarily what they're interested in. And then they're using those weapons to commit violent crimes. And, you know, to that, to that point, uh, you know, I understand some places prohibit you from carrying a weapon and you have to leave it in your car, but uh, there is, there's such a, uh, uh, an importance of securing that weapon uh, so that you don't become an easy target or become a victim of a theft, particularly as it relates to guns. It's a huge problem in our society. It is. And and I don't understand why we don't, why we end up leaving them in the cars and not let us carry them on our persons. Where if you go to say Nordstrom's, there is a, it's a gun-free zone. So you have to leave it in your car if you want to get your shopping done, so to speak. So there you right. go. Anyone who knows that would just go prowl the parking lot and you're going to be gone for at least 30 minutes. So anyway, I'm not giving anybody any tips. They already figured it out. 30,000 guns is a lot yes. in 10 years, 6,000 of them this year alone. To that point, I would much rather you have the gun on your person than leaving it in your car. And that that is the permitless carry uh, conundrum is that you can't because the places that let you but you could leave the house that way. So, okay. Um, another Williamson County uh, thing, this one in Texas, there's another Williamson County in Texas and their sheriff, Mike Gleason, just charged the first man with murder for fentanyl related death just last week. Should we add murder charges to fentanyl sellers in Williamson County if, if someone dies? Absolutely. I mean, th th this fentanyl is becoming a huge, it's, it's becoming a bigger problem. Um, than, than even what we might have first thought it was. But we are constantly uh, reviving people with Narcan. Uh, officers carry Narcan on their, on their person as part of their uniform. And it's, it's just, it, it's far too common uh, in our society that, that anything that you put into your body, whether, whatever drug that may be, may potentially be laced with fentanyl, which is deadly. Uh, why wouldn't we look at that? I think it. Uh, I think it certainly uh, is something that we could should consider. And it's not a victimless drug, as they always like to say, because uh, first responders, the men and women that worked under you in Brentwood, and the men and women that would work under you in Williamson County as sheriffs, they actually end up coming in contact with the drug when they're dealing with an overdose or a dealer or whatnot. And there's been plenty of instances of those folks having to be rushed to the emergency room at a great cost, if not their whole life. So uh, it seems like it should be considered a, a deadly weapon. Um, exactly. You agree? Okay, good. Um, we, as a... <laughs> that, that, and, and that's the, uh, the, you know, we, we understand as public safety 
uh, personnel that we put our we put our lives in jeopardy. Okay, when we go to work every day, and we put on the uniform, uh, we we understand the potential sacrifice. But fentanyl, in particular, is so dangerous, and just a, a minuscule amount uh, can be deadly. And even if you even if you come in contact with it, so there there's there's no room for that in our society. Um, unfortunately it is coming in here. I think Nashville is the, uh, fentanyl overdose capital of the world, just like Memphis is the murder capital of the country right now. I, I said world probably come country is better. Um, as a fourth generation Williamson County resident, you call mm -hmm. Fairview home. Your father served as a commissioner for Williamson County for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Grandfather on dad's side served as a Williamson County deputy and your mom's dad worked for the Tennessee highway patrol long line of police in, in the state that's uh, been here a long time. Uh, your service spanned 36 of the department's 52-year legacy. How has your education, training, and experience prepared you to lead the Williamson County Sheriff's Office uh, into the coming years? Well, we touched on it earlier, and it, it just, you, nothing replaces experience. You can't substitute experience. And I have, I have worked my way through the ranks um, as you mentioned earlier, I've been on patrol. I've been in investigations, uh, spent a decade in investigations, working everything from petty theft to homicide. And I spent the majority of my career in administration because there's so much to learn as it relates to budgets, as it relates to policies, procedures. Um, it, it, it's not something you can really learn on the go as the number one guy. So I bring that experience to the table. I've written policy. Uh, I've implemented procedures. And, you know, and when it comes to hiring and disciplinary actions and internal investigations, that's all part of it, too. I mean, it's, it's, it's all part of the administrative process. And, you know, I would just suggest that, that my tenure uh, during my administrative uh, years particularly as chief of police and, and being the last guy, the last, the last person who has to make those tough decisions. When you look over your shoulder and there's no one else uh, to turn to, you've got to, you've got to be the one that, that is ready to uh, pull the trigger and, and, and uh, not be afraid to say no sometimes, not be afraid to ask questions, uh, but be decisive in the decisions you make. And I think, uh, I think it all comes down to experience uh, and, and I feel like that's what uh, separates me from my opponents. Mm -hmm. And you're a self-identified fiscal-minded conservative that understands the importance of every Williamson County tax dollar. You say you believe in applying a cost-benefit analysis to all budget requests with a focus on what's best for the protection and service delivery to our citizens. Thank you. That's me. I successfully worked within my budget each year as police chief, including the design and construction of Brentwood's state-of-the-art police headquarters completed in 2021. After 50 years, Brentwood got the 56,000 square foot building. It is located at 910 Heritage Way and allows the department to exist in its own dedicated facility located more centrally to the community, $30 million. Uh, Williamson County wants their own too. Sheriff is in charge of the jail and could cost, be about $200 million, $19 million already spent, I believe. Uh, with inflation, maybe more when all is done. What is your experience with Brentwood building that could make Wilco's on time and under budget too? 
Well, I, I think I'm the only candidate that has had experience in being in a project like that on the front end to where we are actually designing it on paper and then watching it come to life as it as uh, as the construction project starts. And, you know, we travel around the country to look at other uh, other departments to try to learn from what they did and and look at things that they wish they had done differently. And it's and it's all part of the planning process. Uh, and, and it's looking at, you know, where can you save taxpayer dollars? Uh, where can you, I mean, you've got to build something that's sustainable for 30 to 40 years out, right? So you've got to, you've got to look at, at how to build that structure in a way that it's going to be cost effective, but yet it is going to be sustainable for the long haul. Um, you know, I have the experience in working with the architect and the design of the building. Uh, I've had experience working you know, we had meet. We had weekly meetings with the contractor, and and as the project continued to to develop under uh, under the construction, you know, might have to make changes on the fly depending on the uh, uh, the cost of something as as it turned out. Because as you prepare your budget, that number changes. Uh, when it comes time to actually make the purchase, because that's done so far out. Yeah, just the shooting range alone with the copper jackets, it's going to cost more than that double what it was, you know, back in 19 when it was projected. Okay, so your website says, as your sheriff, my emphasis will be on you protecting your rights and your quality of life as a Williamson County resident. What if a, a mask mandate or other federal or state unconstitutionally that you would deem um, mandates were tried again? You know, gun confiscation, who knows what's in store for us? What would you do if you thought it was unconstitutional? Because a sheriff isn't obligated to follow orders like a police chief who is appointed is. You'd be subject to voters and the Constitution now. Well, I, th I think that uh, we follow the law. We don't follow social policies. And, uh, you know, that that would not be something I would support as it relates to the mass mandate, uh, particularly uh, if the legislators pass a law, then then that's that's something that we have to adhere to because we follow we follow the law. But but public policy is is a, is oftentimes a matter of preference uh, and the opinion uh, of, of one person or another and a personal preference between, say, one citizen compared to another citizen. So I have to, I have to side on the side. I have to take the side of uh, what I believe is, uh, is constitutional and what I know to be the law uh, compared to public policy. Okay. Do you like the campaigning part of, of running now or, or now that you're, you've been part of it a while, did you prefer the appointment and merit-based promotion part and not so much the running for office and shaking hands and kissing babies? Part? Well, this, that is one stark difference between being a police chief and running for sheriff because the sheriff's position is elected, a chief's position is appointed, and uh, there is no comparison. Campaigning is very difficult. It's, it's, uh, it takes a toll on you physically, mentally, and emotionally. And and uh, if, if for for those that have never ran uh, for public office, you you really can't appreciate uh, what a candidate goes through. It uh, 
it's certainly uh, trying. And this particular campaign has been condensed to two months because we didn't have the opportunity to pull a petition until the 1st of January. And the primary is March the 5th. So basically, uh, we we ran a marathon in in the in about the time it would take to run a sprint, and so that I think that compounded the difficulty of uh, this particular campaign. There seems to be a bit of a strategy to that uh, when somebody <laughs> announces a resignation or a retirement, and then all of a sudden there's a scramble for people to meet their deadlines to get in there. It, uh, we'll talk about that another time, but. Okay. Uh, unless you want to opine on that, but I'll ask you it in this way. Um, have you had a chance to look into the inner workings of the department? Do you think it's in good shape? I, I, I haven't. Honestly, it's, uh, it's, it's been a full on-go campaign. Uh, obviously, I hear a lot of things. I have a lot of people reaching out to me, uh, sources, if you will, uh, that will remain unnamed, that talk to me about issues and problems. But until you have the opportunity to get in there and do a comprehensive review of what is actually going on as it relates to staffing, as it relates to policies and procedures, and as it relates to practices, then, you know, you you really don't have uh, a good feel uh, for what exactly needs to be done. Now, we know staffing is an issue, and we know uh, that recruiting and uh, uh, retaining police officers is going to be a priority. We need to get more deputies on the street. So uh, I know that's going to be one of our first priorities, but there, there are so many things that, uh, that, that need to be tackled, but it's just going to take time. And some things might be able to uh, be addressed more quickly than others, but this is going to, uh, it's going to be a, it's going to be a challenge for whoever wins this election. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I want to know what your priorities are, but um, Dusty Rhodes has been sheriff since I was 13 years old, 40 years. Uh, in that time, Williamson County exploded. It boomed and became the amazing place in Tennessee that everyone wants to move to and, and raise a family. You know, I, I guess you'd have to say great job, great legacy. Brentwood, too, and, and all the city and schools, which are the best in the state, SROs, they fall under the sheriff. What do you think of Governor Lee's $250 million for every school to have an SRO for you to oversee? I think that's a priority. I think we I think it's paramount that we protect our children and that we have an SRO in every school. Uh, and, and Steve, if I may, Dusty Rhodes has been at the sheriff's department for 44 years, but he's only been the sheriff. Uh, for one term, and then this unfinished portion of the term. So he served in the capacity as chief deputy, and then prior to that, he was in some other uh, leadership role or what have you. But he has not, he's not always been the sheriff. Okay. So just, just wanted to point that out. Um, but, but yes, SRO's priority. Uh, we, I, I think it's so important that we need, even if we're short-staffed, I think we need to reallocate resources to make sure that our schools are covered uh, when they're in session, and you know everything else would become secondary. Okay. Do you think um, Dusty has left the county with all the tools that we need to have an effective sheriff department going forward, or is there going to be some uh, some uh, shopping list items that are going to be necessary that might be very costly? Well, again, uh, 
it's hard to say being the guy that's on the outside looking in. Uh, I have a lot of respect for Dusty Rhodes. He's a friend of mine. Um, he was a mentor to me coming up through my career. And, uh, uh, you know, there's always room for improvement, right? So when we get into a position, we want to, you know, leave it better than we found it. And, uh, you know, I think that I have the tools and the experience uh, and the strategies to make a difference. And, and, and hopefully that's my goal is to uh, do that comprehensive review I'm talking about and then uh, translate what we're able to, uh, to do as an organization into quality public service for the citizens of Williamson County. And uh, I think it starts with, with uh, trying to get more deputies on the street. Uh, high visibility. You know, we're on the doorstep of, of violent crime uh, with, with our neighbors to the north uh, in Nashville. And uh, Brentwood, in particular, has kind of been the gateway, uh, being right on the border of Nashville, you know, kind of the first line of defense, if you will, of, of uh, keeping violent bay and you know we've we've enjoyed a uh, a low crime rate brentwood was consistent ranked as one of the safest cities in america by multiple sources i think generally williamson county uh has enjoyed uh a, a very low crime rate but it that doesn't mean that we're not uh, a target rich environment we are an affluent community <laughs> and and therefore uh, unfortunately, bad actors seek us out. And and I think it's important that we are prepared to ward off those that would come do us harm. Okay. You know, we have a pretty fancy Air Force. I see helicopters in the air all the time. Uh, do you see any potential cost savings in anything the department has now and doesn't need? Well, that seems to be a concern of some of the citizens I've talked to. Uh I don't know exactly how many operational helicopters the sheriff's department has uh, or to what extent uh, those are deployed. But again, that's one of the, uh, one of the things that I'll, I'll, I'll look to uh, evaluate. And, you know, I want to not, not only in the, uh, the terms of, of helicopters, but if there are areas where we can uh, cut the budget and still provide the level of service that Williamson County citizens expect and deserve, then I think we have a right to do that. Uh, and, and we need what we need, right? But we, sometimes we want more than we need. And I've always been a proponent, you mentioned it earlier, a cost-benefit analysis. I think the cost of anything we do uh, should, should should translate into the benefit that we're getting. And I think that we should only ask for things that we truly need and not necessarily what we want to do the job that needs to be done to protect the citizens of Williamson County. Mm. The Williamson County Public Building Authority, part of a proposed $280 million master plan that would bring extensive renovations and new buildings to the Sheriff's Office property off Century Court at Williamson County Courts in downtown Franklin. 
The new sheriff's office portion would cost $38.6 million in construction costs and equal $51.6 million in total costs. The 30-year-old county jail is operating from an outdated building that no longer meets the department's needs, consultants say. Don't know who they are. The primary driver of the master plan is growth in the county. From 2014 to 2018, the crime rate in Williamson County increased by 15.9%, according to the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation. Meanwhile, the juvenile cases are also on the rise, while Juvenile Justice Office struggles to house its growing staff in limited space. Under the proposed plan, the current sheriff's office and jail would undergo demolition. In its place would stand a new two-story sheriff's administrative offices, canine training facility, helicopter launch pad, gun range, and a renovated special operations facility. A separate master plan for a new jail is projected to cost $138.6 million, while a new juvenile justice center at ALC would cost $58.6 million. Total construction costs $212,325,425. Total projected cost $280,564,407. Think that's realistic? And do you see anything that we just don't need in that original plan? That well... Uh, those numbers that you just cited are actually lower than the numbers that I had been hearing. And again, I haven't seen those proposals, so I don't know exactly what those figures are. I, uh, I trust that, uh, that that you've received some uh, updated information maybe that I haven't been privileged to. But there's no doubt uh, with the facilities as old as they are, they need some something in place of what they have. Uh, I don't doubt that for a minute. Uh, the only thing that I would um, caution is, is that we need to be careful that we're, uh, again, we're, we're spending taxpayer dollars wisely. And, you know, you know, have we looked at all of the options that are on the table? Uh, this is a process that is already underway. Uh, there have been discussions. There have been um, uh obviously projections, if you will. I haven't been part of those conversations. And so I'm not sure, uh, you know, what what questions may could be asked uh, to look at alternatives and to look at ways that we could uh, potentially save taxpayer dollars. I've heard that uh, the projections uh, for the uh, size of the jail are close to three times what the size of the existing jail is. And, you know, I don't know that we won't, you know, we need to have the capacity that's needed to house uh, prisoners, but at the same time, we don't need to, uh, we don't need to build a Ritz-Carlton or, or, you know, something uh, that, that is a desirable place to come. It's not, it shouldn't be uh it shouldn't be a, a, a place that uh, uh, people want to be at, obviously. And, and uh, you know, we need to look at, at diverting the mentally ill and uh, perhaps the, the, the drug dependent. You know, that we need to, we need to work collaboratively with, uh, collaboratively with our legislators and with our social workers and with our, uh, with our citizenry to try to come up with alternatives other than incarceration uh, for certain uh, certain folks that are not getting the uh, the help that they need behind bars, and 
I bet if you I know, had a chance to look at that, I could take a big piece of that two hundred eighty million out. I, I it's, could almost it's, guarantee, but it seems like there's some opportunity there yeah. uh, to certainly be able to do that. Uh, but again, I haven't seen it. Uh, it was something that I would I would certainly uh, be willing to uh, offer some insight on, and and potentially ask some questions about uh, the projections as they are. Okay. Uh, a middle Tennessee soccer coach accused of recording himself raping children entered the United States illegally, police confirmed. Camille Hurtado Campos. Middle Tennessee seems to be a hotbed of this type of sex crime activity. Uh, Campos was an illegal. Do you think the sheriffs could do more with ICE or HHS and deport illegals from Tennessee? Or do we have to rely on the federal government to do it? Well, I think that we need to collaborate with ICE. Uh, but I attended a a, a, a meeting last week uh, with the Williamson County Republican Party. It was a presentation uh, by, by some folks on the matter of immigrants. And as I understand it, or as I, and I'm trying to educate myself to the extent that I can, uh, ICE is somewhat handcuffed to their desk and uh, – doesn't doesn't necessarily have the the lead way to do what they need to do on the federal level, which makes it even harder for us at the local level uh, to to do anything at all as it relates to immigrants unless they break the law, and 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 that's unfortunate. Uh, there are a couple of bills that uh, were proposed at the legislature. I'm not sure exactly where they are. The campaign has uh, taken my time. So I haven't been able to follow those particular bills, but. You know, we've got to look at ways that we can uh, empower the locals to do more, or uh, at the very least, we need to collaborate with our partners at ICE to uh, to do what we can to prevent these folks uh, from coming here illegally and deport them when we find them. Yeah, TBI, FBI, PD, ICE, HHS, everybody, it should be all of the above and get these child traffickers out of here. Um, Got time for one more, I guess, maybe two for lucky. Mass transit is on the table for Franklin, Brentwood, and Nashville, all the way to Memphis and Chattanooga. Many cities uh, for have done that. That's been the gateway or getaway route for crime, drugs, and homelessness. Are you in favor of mass transit coming into Williamson County? As a native of Williamson County, uh, that's just hard for me to fathom. Uh, can't hardly wrap my mind around it. Uh, I mean, I, I'm uh, I'm old school, and I don't know that uh, that we need that. Um, I'm sure there there are folks that would uh, certainly be a proponent of it, but uh, I can't say that I'm in favor of it. Okay. Uh, early, uh, you retired from uh, BPD in just 2022. What made you want to jump back into work so soon? Well, it's been two years today that I retired. Today is my vacation. And when the alarm goes off in the morning, I, uh, I often wonder why I made this decision. But I didn't have a lot of time to think about it. This was something that was sprung upon me uh, when I learned that the current sheriff was stepping down early. And I didn't have much time to make a decision. Folks started reaching out to me and encouraging me to put my name in uh, as a candidate. Uh, it's very humbling when people want you to to come back and give of your time and your 
your experience and and <clears throat> but i i am just uh 60 years old so whoops i think he just uh, clicked himself off there steve all right well um should we just sure move into our uh into our next section if unless he comes back yeah i guess we got to the show must go on okay. and we're not live right no but i'll just no. go ahead and play like we are here we are all right well everybody it's really oh i'm gonna let him back in here we go Still talking Tennessee one way or the other. All right. All right, Jeff. Sorry about that. Technology Thank failed us, but we only have time for one more question. So I'll throw it at you. Technology is great until it's not, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> at least it's not a helicopter. Okay. So um early voting ended March 27th, which is today. Election day is March 5th, uh, one week from today. Any closing arguments you'd like to make to the citizens? Well, uh, all I'd really like to say is, is, Steve, I appreciate the opportunity uh, for you for inviting me and giving me the opportunity to come over here and talk about some of the issues. Uh, and I'll just say Williamson County needs proven, tested leadership. You know, the biggest element of that is experience. And I believe 10 years as chief of police has prepared me well, that I'm ready, willing, and able to serve the citizens of Williamson County. And I'd be honored to be their sheriff. Excellent. Do you want to take the over or under on 7% turnout like last time? <laughs> I hope it's I hope it's over, but uh, I, I'm just not sure how it's going to turn out. I guess we have to wait till election day to see what the final push will be. I, uh, I walk around and nobody even knows it's going on, which is a tragedy because <laughs> it's a big deal. But um, we are at the end of the time here, so please tell everyone where they can go to find out more about you, follow your campaign, obviously donate, contribute time, whatever they would like to do. Thank you for that opportunity. And it's hughesforsheriff.com. Uh, you can go on there and you can look at my vision. You can look at my accomplishments as chief of police for the 10 years that I served in that capacity. And certainly if you want to contribute to my campaign, there's an opportunity to do that on, to do that as well. All right. Well, good luck. And we'll hope to have you come back on again, uh, maybe as sheriff. Thank you so much, Steve. I really appreciate it. Hey, this is State Senator Mark Cody. You're listening to the Mill Creek View Tennessee podcast. I don't All right, welcome to the Steve and Steve segment of our show. Producer Steve, what did you think of our guest, Jeff Hughes? You know, it was kind of interesting. He said that uh, Brentwood being the city and then Williamson County being the buffer between Nashville and what's, is it Franklin County over there? Uh, Nashville's in Williamson County. Okay, so where is in Davidson County. Davidson, Davidson County. thank you. It sounds a lot like where I live. Totally. Because King County South, that's crime-ridden. Seattle's crime ridden. Yep. All the little communities north of us. I was. I'm in Linwood. You were in Mill Creek, smaller than Linwood, Edmonds. We're kind of like the buffer 
and we get the we've already gotten some um Snohomish County is what you're talking about. Yeah, we're in Snohomish County and I'm in Linwood and uh we've already had gang shooting and it's all teens, young te- you know, uh teens that don't know what they're doing. But we're the the city is trying now, okay, okay, we're going to get more police, we're going to get more police. I mean, it's always after the case. But um yeah, we had a really good sheriff. Now our current sheriff who took over our county as I understand from an insider, um, she's a no-show. She's not mm-hmm. involved. She's mm-hmm. rarely seen. And, and they took away the constitutional rights of the citizens to vote for sheriff in King County, where Seattle is. And now that they have a puppet in Snohomish County, where you are, I'm sure that she is going to hand over the reins for exactly that, just like they tried to do in Pierce by recalling their sheriff. So the sheriffs are my most special, most favorite yes. constitutional officers in the federal government, in the government, let's just say. Yep. And um, of course, there's going to be a war on them, just like there's a war on on school boards. But I wanted to put a little statistics to this. So I pulled up the arrests of individuals with criminal convictions uh, stats from the Federal Bureau of Investigation. The term criminal non-citizens refers to individuals who have been convicted of one or more crimes, whether in the United States or abroad, prior to interdiction by the United States Border Patrol. It does not include convictions for conduct that is not deemed criminal by the United States, jaywalking and whatnot. Arrests of criminal non-citizens are a subset of total apprehensions by U.S. Border Patrol. So check this out, Steve. The type of arrest, U.S. Border Patrol criminal non-citizen arrest in fiscal year 17, 8,531. Pretty bad. Fiscal year 18, it dropped to 6,698. In 19, we have Donald Trump as president, 4,269. In fiscal year 20, 2,438. Not great, but way down, about down 75% from 17. Fiscal year 2021, first year of the Biden administration, 10,763. Now, these are arrests. This is not counting people who were not arrested. Fiscal year 2022, 12,028. Fiscal year 23 that just ended, 15,267. Fiscal year 24, year to date, 5,616. Multiply that by, what would it be, four? And you've got yourself 20,000 right there. Wow. But here's the the kicker. Illegal reentry or re-entry. Fiscal year 17 was 4,500, down to 3,920 in 18. 2,663, very much a pattern there with what's going on, all the way down to 1,621, and then back up to 6,160, a high. 6,797 in two years ago, 8,790 last year, and already 3,517 re-entries this year and it's february 27th all right a lot of talk about the poor poor university of georgia gal that went out jogging and never came back because an illegal killed her his brother was an illegal too working for uber i guess they don't screen for citizenship for who drives their cars the killer was let out in new york where alvin bragg has publicly sworn not to work with ice so the killer went down to georgia where his brother was and killed this poor girl Uh, A crime that never would have happened if your border laws were being enforced. And of course, the media plays its part. They reported the killing in the Atlanta Journal as an Atlanta man. He was an Atlanta man. An Atlanta man? He was an illegal immigrant out of New York. Back in 2019, they tried that with Jose Acurcia Avia. The commercial appeal in Memphis put it this way. Four-month-old baby beaten to death when Memphis man learned he's not father 
police say. The Fox News affiliate reported this, baby dies after being beaten by Memphis man who learned he was not the child's father, police say. Except a Memphis man isn't the suspect. The suspect is an illegal alien whom immigration authorities deported five times. Oh. Baby had fractured skull. The 33-year-old Memphis man, the commercial appeal reported, beat the four-month-old to death because he learned he was not the father. It ain't Ozzy and Harriet. If you can't identify the problem, you can't fix the problem. So that was 2018. The problem is two times that now. Speaking of unenforced laws, uh, did you see this, Producer Steve? Um, well, let's just skip that. Uh, let's listen to a voice from the past. Moving on. Clip one. country needs every ounce of its energy to restore itself. The costs of government are all assessed upon the people. This means that the farmer is doomed to provide a certain amount of money out of the sale of his produce, no matter how low the price to pay his taxes. The manufacturer, the professional man, the clerk must do the same from their income. The wage earner, often at a higher rate when compared with his earning, makes his contribution, perhaps not directly, but indirectly, in the advanced cost of everything he buys. The expenses of the government reach everybody. Taxes take from everyone a part of his earnings and force everyone to work for a certain part of his time for the government. When we come to realize that the yearly expenses of the governments of this country, the stupendous sum of about $7,500,000,000, we get $700,000,000 is needed by the national government and the remainder by local governments. Such a sum is difficult to comprehend. It represents all the pay of five million wage earners receiving $5 a day, working 300 days in the year. If the government should add $100 million of expense, it would represent four days more work of these wage earners. These are some of the reasons why I want to cut down public expense. I want the people of America to be able to work less for the government and more for themselves. I want them to have the rewards of their own industry. This is the chief meaning of freedom. Until we can reestablish a condition under which the earnings of the people can be kept by the people, we are bound to suffer a very severe and distinct curtailment of our liberty. Steve. Those figures, you know, I just heard that um, the they have earmarked $95 billion to go between Israel and Ukraine. Two countries that should not get any of our money. $95 billion set aside. That's not counting anything else. Talk about, mm-hmm. he was at, what, $6 billion? He said mm-hmm. $6 billion? Well, when you're $34 trillion in debt, what's another $90 oh, billion in there? That was Calvin Coolidge, everybody. His speech on taxation and government delivered in 1924 on the oh. White House lawn. That's 100 years ago for you liberals not good at math. Uh, very good at taxation you are and government, however. 
Um, curtailment of our liberties, as he said. So 100 years later, listen to this from today. The Supreme Court could permanently break the government. On January 17th, the Supreme Court hosted oral arguments in Loper Bright Enterprises versus Ramondo, which, while over a hyper-technical legal issue, lasted more than three hours. Did you see this in the news? Of course not, but it's huge. At issue was whether the court should overturn what's become known as Chevron deference. Established as a precedent in 1984 decision, Chevron versus NRDC, Chevron deference requires federal courts to defer to, that is, accept without attempting their own interpretation, reasonable executive agency interpretations of governing statutes. The consensus following the oral arguments held that the justices did seem likely to abolish Chevron. Wow. Liberals reached reacted to this prospect in near apocalyptic horror <laughs> typified by the Center for American Progress, which put out a statement saying that the complete, that that saying that completely doing away with Chevron deference will be existentially threatening. Whether or not the court overturns Chevron or offers some more narrow nip and tuck to the doctrine, the question that will matter is, what specific instructions will the decision lay down for judges to calibrate agencies' flexibility in implementing statutory mandates? If the court instructs the broadly worded statutes must be read accordingly to continue granting agencies broad discretion to decide how to interpret instructions from Congress, then the impact could be much less than anti-regulatory zealots hope and liberals fear. The argument indicated that such an outcome while hardly certain, is not implausible. Just as surely these judges will be handed multiple strategically selected such opportunities by litigators representing and funded by the same industrial, financial, and political interests behind the pending challenge to Chevron. A recent exper experience has amply demonstrated even if Supreme Court majorities ultimately reverse anti-regulatory interests can generate interim gridlock that obstructs or defeats outright valid and urgently needed agency initiatives. That's from the New Republic, which is freaking out. Very liberal magazine, been around since 1914, 109 years this November, leftist. So you take 2024 today and subtract 1914 and you get 109. <laughs> anyway, you can imagine they hated Coolidge. Yes. And they loved Wilson. Very different administrations. I prefer Silent Cal. Stay tuned for my thoughts of the week. I'm Kurt Riley. I'm the chairman with the Sumner County Constitutional Republicans, and you're listening to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast. All right, time for my quotes for the day. Before I share, I want to remind everyone to subscribe to the Milk Creek View podcast. I really hope you like it. Now, the way the story ends is that they get married, and he goes on to become governor of the state. Never gets to Australia, but he keeps reading a lot of books about it. I get to be sheriff of this town, and then I go on to become one of the most beloved characters in Western folklore. Jake 
in Support Your Local Sheriff, 1969, played by Jack Elam. Before his acting career, Elam worked as a bookkeeper at the Bank of America in Los Angeles and as an auditor for the Standard Oil Company. Made a career with his eerie, immobile eye, which was caused by a fight with another kid at age 12. It happened, happened during a Boy Scout meeting when another boy took a pencil, threw it, and it jabbed his eyeball. Ouch. Worked out for him. I counted 210 film credits. Jack Beanteen. You know, Hank, the next thing you're going to be complaining about the state legislature making women a ranger. You know that? Sheriff Hank Pearson. Hell, I don't care. As long as she's six foot six, mean as a snake, state legislature, shoot, Jack. Only thing worse than a politician is a child molester. Rip Torn, Sheriff Hank Pearson, Extreme Prejudice, 1987. Tell me, isn't a sheriff supposed to be courageous, loyal, and above all, honest? Yeah, that he is. Clint Eastwood, the man with no name, in for a few dollars more, 1965. And I think you people need a new sheriff for a few dollars more. That's it for this episode. Thank you, Jeff Hughes, for your service to the Brentwood community and for bringing four generations of Tennessean to law enforcement, keeping Tennessee, Tennessee. Early voting ending today, so good luck next week to all the candidates willing to throw their cowboy hats in the ring. That's it for another one. I'm your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of mcview.us. See you all tomorrow uh, and always on Rumble and whenever you get your podcast forever. Stay tuned for some bonus material with me and Kevin Sorbo from Hercules on the Matt Murphy show from our NRB experience. Sorry for the sound quality, not producer Steve's fault, Verizon. Peace in our time and definitely glory to God. Six one five seven three seven ninety nine eighty six. Steve Abramowitz is on the line. I think we've conversed in with Kevin Sorbo as well. Hello, Steve Abramowitz. What's going on, my brother? Matt Murphy, Patriot Mobile, I believe, was uh, all good all week. What is uh, what's going on in your world? You've been out at uh, Opry Mills at Gaylord Opry Mills for a big uh, big goings on out there. What's happening out there? It's the uh, National Broadcasting uh, event. Donald Trump will be here tonight, and I'm hanging out with uh, my new best friend, Kevin Sorbo. Uh, you know, Mill Creek View is dedicated to truth and lovers of truth, and so it was obvious that Kevin and I would hook up together one day. Uh, he's episode 155, by the way, on Spotify, iTunes, and uh, Rumble, and I thought it would be fun if he talked to you. Well, we absolutely love it. Um, is he there with you now? Is he listening to our conversation right now? Yeah, but I think he's on Verizon. No, he's right here. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Uh, I'm glad we can even talk, Kevin, considering some I, of the... Uh, I, I, I am here. No, but I'm here. I'm here. I'm with Patriot Mobile, by the way. They're the, they're the big stars, and they're actually, actually here at the NRB as well. Uh, well, it's such an honor to talk with you. Uh, how, how have you been treated in town? Well, I hope. 
All was well when I come here. I actually just arrived. Um, this is sort of a, a last-second uh, deal for me because I've got a movie here and two documentaries. So they kept bugging me and bugging me, and I had another event I was supposed to do, and I canceled just for NRB. So here I am. Uh, well, what you mentioned movies. You mentioned you keep busy. I know you're incredibly busy with a lot of different projects, and you seem to, Kevin, and I don't want to... I don't want to assume anything, but it feels like you are more and more gravitating toward faith-based projects. Um, and I know that you're a faithful man, you're a Christian man. Is that intentional on your part, or is it just natural that you come together with these folks? I want to back up about 12 years on a manager and agent of uh, many, many years called me in and said they couldn't work with me anymore because of my conservative values and being a Christian at the same time. So that made them very upset because those things are like kryptonite, apparently, to the Hollywood, and uh, I formed several studios and I've uh, been doing a lot of my own movies. But really the first faith-based movie I did was a movie called What If? And uh, What If? is the same guys who did a little movie I did called God's Not Dead a couple years later, which was a huge hit. But in my, my book, What If? Even a better movie, is directed by Dallas Jenkins, who's doing The Chosen right now, which is pretty huge. And that really put me down that road. So I've been doing these for a good 12, 13 years now because I want to do movies that Hollywood used to do and Hollywood doesn't do anymore. So I stay away from the woke, crazy, cancel culture world that they want to live in and do movies like that of hope and love and laughter and redemption and faith and things like that. So um, I'm going to keep doing those kind of movies because that's what people stop me for now all the time. Well, and we need more of you, Kevin. I mean, it, it does take a sense. I mean, uh, well, just I don't want to assume this. Talk to me about... Um, where that courage came from, because I know that it takes a certain level of courage to put yourself out there. You've made a name for yourself. You're a very famous guy. You've done all of these projects. You've been in all of these films, obviously the Hercules series and all of that. And for you to kind of draw what seems to be a little bit of a line in the sand and say, oh, okay, uh, and maybe you answered it that you didn't do that. They did that to you, but, uh, there's a level of courage out there and we need more. I know that there are more conservatives in Hollywood. I know that there are more Christians in Hollywood that are just afraid of this uh, because they're afraid of losing their careers. Am I right or wrong? You're completely right. Fear is an amazing weapon. And, you know, our government showed it in full force during COVID, didn't they? So uh, to me, it's it's you got to fight back and not be afraid. I get stopped. I mean, every movie I've been doing, I've shot over 80 movies. And I would say in the last Six to seven years, every movie I do, when I do about four to five of these independent movies a year, actors pull me over to the side or a producer or a director, lighting guy, whatever it may be, like we're doing a little drug deal. They want to get away from everybody and say, hey, man, thanks for being a voice for us. And I say, come on, be a voice for yourself. But they're all afraid to have a, you know, what happened to me happen to them. And I said, look, yeah, Hollywood's not calling me for big name movies or TV series anymore. That's fine. I'm still staying busy, still making movies. And we need to wake up the lions because the sheep – Trust me, the sheep are going to be the sheep, and we're here to wake up the lions and get them to not be afraid. I absolutely love it. I mean, it's so good. And and I want to thank you for taking uh, that gentleman next to you, Steve Abramowitz, under your wing. He needs all the help he can get, Kevin. <laughs> well, we're, we're working on a little project together as well, and maybe Steve will tell you about what we're doing. Uh, Abramowitz, what's going on? What do you got going with Kevin Sorbo? Well, you know, I got the podcast, and I own the two other ones, Washington and Florida, and I've got the newspaper that comes out on a regular basis and the website that's going to be called Heartland Journal now since it's leaving Washington. Well, why not executive produce a movie? So I'm putting together an ensemble cast of Lovers of Truth. Uh, Kevin Sorbo is going to be right, my right-hand man, and I'm going to be his right-hand man, I guess, one way to say it. And we're going to try to make this thing a uh, large-budget 
blockbuster that everyone's going to want to see that has a message that everyone needs to hear. Um, you know, he's got the Reagan movie coming out later this year. Yep. And he has an event up in Sevierville. Uh, tell them about that, Cass. Sevierville, um, May 30 and 31 and June 1st, Thursday through Saturday, we got an amazing event. It's like a Comic-Con, but it's not a Comic-Con. It's a faith and family convention. And so people go to riseupcon.com. They can check it out and see all the wonderful actors that are going to be there and writers and producers and music guests. And we're going to actually have a couple of movies we're going to screen, a couple of documentaries. And we have a charity golf event happening as well right there in um, Sevierville. So I hope people will come and join us and fill the place up. It's this spring, what I just mentioned, end of May, and uh, riseupcon.com. Please check it out. And I'll just add that uh, my friend out of Chattanooga, is in the uh, Motivational Speaker Hall of Fame. Chris Widener wrote a book called Four Seasons. You can buy it on Amazon anywhere you want. Books a million. Um, and that is the epic saga that I believe uh, Kevin's going to win some awards. And if uh, Academy doesn't want to look at him because they're too woke, that's okay. Well, that's a dumb. And, you know. They hate, they hate the truth. Well, that's right. That's right. And, and, and the truth of this movie is that we're all going to die. <laughs> well, there's there's one certain reality on this lot in this earth and in this life is that we are all going to leave uh this mortal coil that is for certain steve uh kevin what can you what, i mean I, I know a lot of people are excited about the reagan movie and since steve brought it up when can we anticipate this thing happening when is it coming out do you know I, you might know better than me. I don't know. They keep moving it, but hopefully, and it would make sense before the election. So um, I'm hearing rumors of different dates this year, but nothing is concrete. But the Reagan movie is done. I play the pastor, and it's uh, Dennis Quaid plays Reagan in it, and it's uh, it's going to be a you know it's it's huge. I mean, they're covering him from you know teenage years to death, so it's a big movie. Well, and if you see, and and I don't know, Kevin, you've probably seen these stills. If you see the still shots of Ronald Reagan in his cowboy hat, and there's one, uh, there was a poster that I saw a week or so ago of Dennis Quaid. Um, it is, it's a little odd how how much he is personifying that look and that feel and that smile of Ronald Reagan. Yeah, that was no no question. I believe he played carter in a movie tour in a miniseries so he's he's got both sides of the political aisle and rob lowe did uh jfk hey uh matt the movie that's coming out uh august of this year is called the firing squad uh-huh. with cuba gooding jr amazing story kevin's obviously involved in that that's why he's here story that cnn msnbc all the mainstream would never tell uh kevin tell me the plot tell, yeah tell me a little about the story kevin well, it's a story about my, my character, um, actually, he murdered uh, somebody in his 20s. He ends on death row for like 40 years. And uh, during that time, he found God, and he becomes a pastor while he's serving. And he's in there uh, preaching to everybody. He turned many people to God. It's a true story and set in Indonesia uh, just uh, 10 years ago. And um, where, when, when, when the actual uh, uh, termination of his life happened, because he was put up in front of a firing squad, which they still have down there. So uh, it's 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 a it's a tearjerker, but it's touching. There's, you know, it's it's got a great message in it. It's called the Firing Squad. And the date, I believe, it's late August weekend, like the 24th or something like that. I don't have the exact date on it yet, uh, but it's going to be in August for sure. But is it out? It's out in theaters. It'll be in theaters. Okay, yeah. great. Three thousand three thousand theaters this summer. Excellent. Yep. Well, we'll obviously so, be looking forward to that. And what are you looking forward to uh, today? What are you guys doing today, Steve? 
well, I got to do my show in a couple hours. <laughs> I, did it, I did it yesterday from behind the black screen, right over the uh, little lovers lake thing that people take their tours through the uh, whatever that is called, the, the lazy river. Um, if I'm lucky, I'll get to represent uh, Kevin around town here and shake hands. And it was so exhausting yesterday. It's it's, uh, this is an amazing it, event. Last night, uh, Marshall Blackburn spoke. Sebastian Gorka spoke. Uh, Todd Stearns over there from Memphis was here. A lot of people that believe the entertainment business is the right place to tell the truth. Well, Steve, I would ask you this question, but I think I know the answer, so I'll go ahead and ask Kevin Sorbo. Kevin, do you think you'll get a chance to uh, to meet uh, the president, Donald Trump, today? I think he's coming into town. Well, surprisingly, I go to Mar-a-Lago at least once every two months. I meet him quite often, and we, we golf together as well. So I kind of know him. <laughs> I'm hoping I get to. Uh, well, I mean, I knew that you, I knew that you golfed with him. I didn't know if you would be able to get together with him today. Um, who, uh, who wins the, the those rounds? You guys keep score when you're golfing, Kevin. Well, I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great answer. He also catches the biggest fish, and he's the best dancer. <laughs> Uh, well, it is a, an absolute delight to get a chance to speak with you. And, Steve, thank you so much for everything that you do with Mill Creek View and for giving us the ability to talk with uh, the famous Kevin Sorbo. We'll be looking for the firing squad later on this year, looking for Reagan later on this year, and looking for the many, many projects that you're involved in. We want to support uh, Christian men and women who are in the industry, who support the type of values that we believe in, and we thank you for what you do, Kevin. Well, thank you very much. And a couple of quick things real quick here. I want everybody to go to SorboStudios.com. That's SorboStudios.com. It's my wife's uh, site along with me. It lets you know everything we're doing that's out there right now. I've got uh, four of the movies in post-production right now. I've got two documentaries coming out this year as well. One deals with The Last Supper. Unfortunately, it's not going to come out in time for Easter, which is a little disappointing, but it will be out this year. And it's called Eating with the Enemy. And the other one, uh, I spent three weeks in Israel through archaeological digs. We traced the flow of the Ark of the Covenant, and it's called the, um, the Quest of the Throne. And that'll be out later this year as well. Wonderful. And more important than Donald Trump, I got to meet Sam Sorbo, who is an amazing <laughs> person. So that you'd be lucky to meet her one day. Well, uh, absolutely. And there's no, there's no question. She's she's the power behind the uh, the website. I know that, and she's probably the power behind the man. Uh, we know how that goes. Kevin, thank you. Steve, thank you. Uh, and we'll talk to both of you again very soon. Take care. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Absolutely. There's Kevin Sorbo and Steve Abramowitz joining us for a few good moments. It's uh, SorboStudios.com. Kevin has kind of gone out on his own, and over the last 12 or 14 years, uh, he's made a point to do independent movies uh, that reflect better and more wholesome values, family values, which is nice uh, to see in this day and age.
Any views or opinions represented on the podcast are personal and belong solely to the creator and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the creator may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated.